0: The reading is taken from Nehemiah, chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts for me, sorry, with me except the one I was riding on by night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool but there was not enough room for my mount to get through so I went up the valley by night examining the wall finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews, or the priests, or nobles, or officials, or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, everyone. Congratulations, Harry, James, Emma. It's a happy day, and uh, wonderful that Harry is baptised. And it's great to have this this new sofa as well. Who's who's had a sit on it so far? Anyone? There we go. It's it's, it's lovely and white. We might put some throws on it in weeks to come. But. Um, It's an option, you know, should you need to lie down and snooze during my sermon. There it is, it's nice and long, even even Roddy would fit on it, you know. (laughs) So there we go. So you've got that if you need it. And um, Sophie, I I think, very tastefully has coordinated her clothes with with the white sofa, or possibly with Jesus. I'm not not quite sure. It's with Jesus, apparently, but the sofa's a nice fit as well. And it's great to have you all here. And we all love a comeback story, don't we? Certainly the Americans do, but I think British people do as well. And just in the last few weeks, we've had... um, uh, Emma Radachanu, anyone? Karnu? it's Karnu, isn't it? It's not Chanu. There we go. Who who watched her win the US Open? Oh, I did. It was fantastic. I was so excited. I was looking forward to it for hours, and um, I've been thinking about it for you know for weeks since. An amazing comeback story, given what happened to her at Wimbledon, and uh, and then she has wowed the world and delighted us all. And then, of course, there was West Ham's glorious response. (laughs) You were just waiting for that, weren't you? I do occasionally mention God, but I always mention West Ham. You know, it's just one of those things. Um, So last week, West Ham lost to Manchester United, missed the last-minute penalty that would have drawn the game. But they came back and beat them on Wednesday, knocked them out of the cup, away from home, and that delighted and wowed me. (laughs) And coming back is very much the theme of today, too. And uh, we're so delighted, Emma and James, that you've come back to St. Paul's for Harry's baptism and uh, that we can welcome him into our church family. We're delighted that all of you have come back uh, to St. Paul's and the many others who've returned uh, since um, we were allowed to meet again here at church. And slowly but surely, we are gradually coming back as a whole church family um, week on week. Uh, We're not there yet. But we hope and pray in the months to come, we will. And uh, coming back is, of course, what this series, this term is all about. This is not um, a sort of one-off topic. We're looking at rebuilding. That's our theme, uh, which um, we're looking at this term from the story of Nehemiah. And uh, for the benefit of those of you who are here just for this week as guests, um, I'm going to recap the story uh, so you know kind of how it fits in with the story of the Bible. Then I'm going to unpack how relevant I think this theme of returning, and more specifically rebuilding, is to our situation right now as individuals and as a church. And, uh, and that's where I'm heading today. But first, let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this happy occasion. Thank you for Harry Thank you that we can celebrate his baptism today. And thank you that we can gather together. We're free to do that now. We can worship you. We can listen to your word read. And we can reflect and respond to it. Knowing that it speaks truth and hope into our lives. So we pray that it would do that today. As we think more about this story of Nehemiah. And as we think about the rebuilding that we need in our lives. Speak to us, we pray, Father God. Amen. Okay, right. Well, I'm of the view that the best talks generally begin with a question which sort of draws us all in and focuses uh, the way that we're going uh, through the service. And so my question to all of us today is this, what are you rebuilding in your life? Now I guess for you, Emma and James, really you're building, aren't you? Not so much rebuilding, you're building a family, building an environment of love in which Harry and George can grow up and flourish. Knowing as that as you choose to bring Harry to baptism, you're reflecting that God's help and God's involvement can help your parenting and your family and your children to thrive. But it's rebuilding I primarily want to focus on today because that is very much, I think, the theme of the moment. The historical moment, whether it's as an economy that clearly needs rebuilding, as a community, communities all over the country, indeed all over the world, as a church or as individuals after the huge disruption and disorientation that the pandemic has brought Now, we're not yet through it. Of course, we're not. We've certainly not yet recovered from it. We're still being rightly cautious. Many are still nervous. Many are at home watching because they don't quite feel ready to be here in person. But we will recover. We must, and we will. And that's what we're thinking about today. Now, when Harry's at school in 10 years' time, it's hard to think about and hard to believe but he is very likely to be looking in history or current affairs or whatever it might be at the great pandemic of 2020 to 22. I think it is going to go on to next year, clearly. Just like 100 years ago, we had the Spanish flu in that same sort of period, 20 to 22 uh, in the 20th century. And uh, it's going to be almost certainly the biggest historical event of the last 40 years, possibly for longer insofar as it affects literally the whole world. We're never going to forget it. We'll talk to our children about it, what it was like for us and how we bounced back. Yet whilst its place in the history syllabus in decades to come, I'm sure, is certain, what is not yet set in stone is how we respond to it, especially as individuals seeking to rebuild our lives. Whether it's psychologically, emotionally, or spiritually. If there's one thing I want to leave us all with this morning, it's this. God really wants to help. He longs to, and he can do. He knows everything. He has the power to help us. And he wants to restore us, inspire us within a relationship of love that he longs for every one of us to enjoy. It just requires each of us to be honest about our needs. Honest about the brokenness that we all as human beings experience. And to invite him in to our lives and to that situation. And that's what Nehemiah did in that passage that we heard read. He saw what was wrong in Jerusalem. Not just in the buildings and the walls, but actually within the people of God as well. And he brought it to God in prayer. Willing to do whatever God called him to do in response. And that's what we can do too if we learn from his example today. But to do that, I need to fill us in on the story, as I promised, which took place around 450 BC. And you'll, you'll see uh, just there, I can't see it at the back, but I can see it behind me. Uh, you can see a, a timeline, 605 on the left-hand side shows the greatest catastrophe Israel had ever experienced up to that point there in 605 BC. Let's just remind ourselves what had actually happened. The nation that God himself had called into being and called his people, his nation, had been effectively destroyed, invaded, occupied, and crushed. And God caused it to happen. That's what we believe. That's what the Bible tells us. I'll come back to that a little bit later on. Their capital city had been ruined. The young and educated classes had been exiled abroad. It was what they needed to teach them, what they needed to learn. And first, by the Babylonian Empire, in what is modern-day Iraq, they were exiled over there, which was, I don't know, probably a month's journey, a long way away in those days. And we're still a long way away now, but just a bit quicker to get there. And then they were occupied, the Babylonians, during that exile by the Persians uh, who came from modern-day Iran. And that was what got us to the situation today. Because uh, a a very enlightened prince of Persia, or king of Persia, Persia, uh, called Cyrus, allowed uh, the Jews to return to Jerusalem. And you can see that. The chart's gone, but it was there. Um, He allowed them to return Um, And um, in 537 BC, but they returned to a different place, now occupied by the surrounding Palestinian people. So they were a minority in their own land now, the Jews that returned. And they returned to a Jerusalem that was almost unrecognizable from its former glory. For the Jewish people, let's be clear, it was absolutely heartbreaking but there was little they could do about it. They were now in a minority, as I shared, didn't have any power, still under occupation, albeit under a more benevolent Persian regime. And it was into that context that Nehemiah, a Jewish exile, had become cupbearer to the king, which was actually really a special advisor. It was a very elevated position. A position of such great influence that it gave him an opportunity to ask the king if he could lead an expedition with Persian military support back to Jerusalem to rebuild its walls. A Jerusalem that pre-exile would have looked like this, and uh, you'll see a picture of it here, hopefully. It's on its way. Oh, it is there, so I'm looking at the back. Of course it is, there it is. (laughs) And you you probably can't read it, but you've got all of those gates and things like that, which uh, are mentioned in the passage there, marked. Um, It was a glorious city. In many ways, it was one of the wonders of the world. But it now looked more like this. That was what Nehemiah discovered. And you can just imagine how he felt. For with no walls, the city had no security, and Israel's humiliation, as they saw it, remained. Yet wonderfully, as we heard about in Nehemiah 1, the king agreed to his request. He was allowed to go back with that military support, and that long journey back to Jerusalem took place. Today's passage told us what happened next. He waited three days, as we've heard, but such was the danger, the confidentiality, the political sensitivity of his task that he went out at night secretly, With the Palestinian officials opposed to his venture, nothing could be left to chance. The recce took place and it must have been a very sobering task as the full scale of the devastation became clear. Nehemiah almost certainly had never been to Jerusalem before. He just heard about it and what he found there must have absolutely broken his heart. But having assessed the reality He gathered the people, or at least those who would be doing the work, with him. And he said this, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. He then added how God had answered his prayers with the king, and the vision had been cast. The people responded, having heard everything that he said, which we have to assume was in more detail than is recorded for us in that passage. We also don't know the passion with which he spoke. And yet what we do know is their response. They responded, let us start rebuilding. And they got straight down to work. Even if those final verses, I'm sure you noticed them, set the scene for the struggles to come. And I have to say, even for the tensions over that city of Jerusalem today. So that's Nehemiah 2. Reality had been assessed. Vision had been cast. And the brave work of rebuilding those walls amidst resolute opposition had begun. So that's my first section. The reality then. What then about the reality for each of us? As we think about the rebuilding that we need doing, not just as individuals, but as a church. Now, I must admit, as a parent of young children, if I ask you what rubble means to you, some of you might think of this. Do you recognize him? Who recognizes him? Yeah, a few, yeah, lots of arms going up, a few other nods. My Harry, who's five, and uh, was also baptized here, he's a Paw Patrol addict, And uh, he would certainly recognize uh, rubble there. A talking superhero dog for whom no job is too big, no pup is too small. There we go. But what's the real rubble of our lives? By which I mean that stuff that needs rebuilding. The damage the pandemic has done mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And the things we may have been struggling with anyway, as normal people living in a challenging And frequently stressful world. And I faced up to that last year, actually, as many of you know, if you're regular members here, as I had my own comeback story. In a lull after the first wave of the pandemic early in August, I was rushed into hospital with a brain illness. That left me bewildered and confused. Now, I know some of you will be thinking, no (laughs) no change there. (laughs) But believe me, it was worse than usual. So much so that the first few days, I can't remember anything about it at all. Then I started to get better. And after 10 days, thankfully, I was allowed to go home. But not without three months off to recover. And uh, that was where my opportunity began. And I really do mean this. And I haven't perhaps fully shared this. Up to now, three months to rest, relax, and address any issues I wanted to tackle with the help of a therapist that a fantastic Church of England charity was able to provide. And I worked on a whole range of topics, from insomnia to coping with conflict, from time management to coping with pressure, stress, and fear. And it's no exaggeration to say it was the making of me, or more accurately, the remaking of me as a happier, calmer more resilient Tom and hopefully Vicar too, which left me not just grateful for the care and provision of God, but also passionate to see other people set free. And only yesterday I was on a a course here with Flame International talking about that kind of thing, how God sets us free from the things that oppress us and hold us back. And that freedom can touch on all sorts of things, whether the things I just mentioned or other things that many struggle with, like uh, struggles with confidence or addiction, low spirits or self-esteem, or indeed more explicitly spiritual struggles from joylessness to loss of motivation and apathy, from disappointment to doubt. Not to mention physical struggles, such as reduced mobility Or social struggles like fear of crowded spaces inside. I don't think there's a single person in this room today who can't identify with at least some of those issues. They affect us all. Now, whatever you're struggling with today, whatever the rubble in your lives might be, God longs to help and to release you, to help you through it to comfort you, to strengthen you, and to restore you. The first step, as for Nehemiah, is to be honest about the reality. The next is to talk to someone, whether a doctor, a member of our pastor or listening teams, someone in your home group, or a wise or supportive friend. And the third is to pray, alone or with someone, bringing that situation to our loving and merciful God. And if any of you would like to be prayed for after the service, myself or Sophie or other leaders in the church would be delighted to do that. So that's our personal rebuilding, a task that we all face and a really crucial one for us all. But then there's our church rebuilding as well. The other reason this series is taking place. And I want to share with you very briefly three priorities for this season that we as a leadership feel God has called us to focus on this term which together can address the challenges the last 18 months have brought building on the healing service and the other uh, things that we've done to help us process the trauma if you like that the pandemic has brought to so many and the first priority for this new season this term is to rebuild our teams we've done a pretty good job of restarting things especially since august once our freedoms had increased but with far fewer volunteers to help without which the longer term sustainability simply isn't there so could you help us is god calling you to consider a new way of serving him even one that you've never considered before if so we'd love to talk to you as we all recognize the new opportunities a new season has brought whether that's new outreach to children, youth or families that Bethany and Ben will certainly be generating or the many other areas of church life too. As Jesus put it famously, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Will you play your part in seeing it reaped? Next, our second priority for this new season is reconnecting for which the opportunities are also great. There's Oasis, which starts uh, again properly this Tuesday. Then there's Come Home to Lunch Sunday uh, on the 17th of October, in which we have the opportunity to sign up, to be a host, um, or to visit someone's home. And if you're a host, you can invite people that you don't know very well, Um, or or we can do that, and we will do that with those who uh, who sign up uh, centrally, and we'll match you up. Uh, with people that you don't know so well, but who we think you'll get on with. Now, it sounds a bit scary, doesn't it? I don't know if you feel a bit nervous about that. But I've done this in three different churches, including here a few years ago. And God really blesses it. It's always a great success and great fun. So I commend that to you uh, after our harvest uh, harvest services on the 17th of October. Then we've got the light party at the end of October, uh, which is a sort of Halloween alternative, a big thing here for children and their parents, which will be great fun, that Bethany will be leading. Then on November the 20th, we've got a fish and chips and board games games evening too, which will be great fun, which has been done before as well, elsewhere. And uh, that will be something for all the family and people of every age. And add all that together with all the Christmas activities that will follow. And after the separation and loneliness of the pandemic, we're seizing the moment building on a desire for community and fun that everyone is feeling inside and outside the church, albeit with caution in mind too. There's never been a better time for inviting others. There's never been a better time for seeking a deeper experience of community yourself. Go for it. Let's rebuild our church community. Let's rebuild our wider community. And let's once again experience what church is meant to be in terms of the relationships that we can have. So that's our second priority. The third is this, re-envisioning. And it's with this that I want to close, with a reminder of our core message to our town. The Bible tells us that without vision, the people perish. Reflecting the fact that a church without a vision for who God is And who we can become is pointless. It's just a social club with a Christian veneer. That is not what I want this church to be. It's not what this church is and never has been. Uh, But it's absolutely vital that we rediscover our vision for God and for what it means to be his people. And that vision is that church is meant to be the hands and feet of God. When people see us, they see him. For the local church is God's plan for the world. This really is how he planned to reach the population of the world. The church is what he designed. This is just one example of probably millions of churches all over the world. It's how people learn about him. It's how they're served by him as he ministers to those in need. It's where people experience his presence, and it's where God's defining characteristic, his unlimited and unconditional love for every single one of us can be lived out and seen. For that's what the world, that's what society is craving, as much as they've ever done. Light in the darkness, hope for the future, from a God who so loved the world, that he sent Jesus to die in our place. For the people of Israel that Nehemiah pulled together in that story that we heard, knew why they'd been banished to exile. I alluded to it earlier. It was because they had turned their backs on him. They'd rejected him. They'd gone their own way, as so many of us have done as well. But the wonderful news that they discovered And which I want to share with you today is that we have a God of mercy and forgiveness who always provides a way back. For them, Nehemiah was their saviour as he did the work of their saviour, God. But for us, it is Jesus, the one who gave everything, literally his life, so that our future and our friendship with our creator could be so wonderfully restored. Our job now, as Israel's job then, is to put our faith in him. To follow his lead, to trust in his motives and to allow our lives to be fully rebuilt. This time on the strongest and most joyful of foundations. I want to leave you with an image taken from a different scene of devastation from just before the pandemic began. Two and a half years ago, the beautiful and world-famous Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris caught fire and burnt. The damage was colossal. The world looked on in horror. But once the fire was extinguished and the first pictures of the damage were taken, this is what they showed. Let's have the next slide. You can still see the smoke at the bottom, can't you? And you can sort of see the debris at the bottom and other pictures that I've seen show that more obviously. There within the carcass of an incinerated church, one object was undamaged. One symbol of hope and the love of God remained. It was shown by the media outlets, the newspapers, the television channels all over the world and you can look it up. It spoke to everyone. It rallied the French nation and it was that symbol of the hope and the love of God who despite the very worst that life can throw at us and little did they know that something worse was coming. Despite all of that, all of the devastation, sadness and fear that may lie around us. God's heart, God's love. God's desire is to bless us and to restore our joy and our hope. And it's undimmed by everything that has happened. He knows how to restore us and he longs to do that for us and for the whole world. So where are you at today? How will you respond to that God who loves you and longs to help you? A God who calls you And longs to use you. Will you turn to him and find your deepest needs fulfilled? Well I want to lead us now in a prayer that reflects that offer today. And I invite you to pray it silently after I lead us in each line. I'll pause after each line. And it's a prayer that reflects God's offer to us all. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us. We thank you that you want to rebuild our lives. We turn to you now. Forgive us for rejecting you. Help us to live for you. And give us the hope and the help that we need. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you for listening. And if that was a significant prayer for you, do let someone know, whether it's the person that you came with